to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. You know, I've been asked uh, if I would make a comment around what's, uh, what's going on in the world right now. Some people are feeling pretty victimized here in the Portland, Oregon area. We're deluged with smoke and fire from wildfires, as is most of the West Coast. And, and this, of course, in the midst of a pandemic. Some people are asking me, well, Larry, how does that, how does that fit in? How are we not a victim to what's going on in the world? And I, and I have to say, it, it's sort of a bad news story, but it's absolutely a metaphysical bad news story. It's all about unity versus separation. And, and unfortunately, as a species, not, I'm not pointing a finger individually at anyone, uh, but as a species, we have been separating ourselves from the planet and we've been separating ourselves from each other. And so what we're seeing, the effect of global warming, the effect of disenfranchisement and racism, what we're seeing, of course, is metaphysics at work. When we claim separation, when we embark upon uh, separating ourselves from the planet and exploiting it, when we separate ourselves from our, our fellow humans and exploit them, it's no wonder that we end up in a mess. And so rather perhaps than thinking of ourselves as victims right now, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty going on right now that might make you feel that way. Nonetheless, I suggest it's the law of action. It is the divine creative process that we have allowed, we have fostered what's going on right now. Now, now that's the bad news. I have a good news story too. That was uh, an action from the inside out. That was us feeling separated from the planet, us feeling and acting on being separated from one another. And this month, as you'll know, we're working on unity. We're using this book called Big Potential of Sean Akers that, that literally tells us when we work together, when we put up that unified front, when we show the world and ourselves that we're just as connected as we can possibly be, that's what turns the tide. That's when we start creatively looking for ways and solutions and means of upholding the planet, of creating a, a world that works for everyone through our actions, but more importantly, through that fundamental sense of unity within. When we act in unison with the planet, when we act in unison with one another, knowing that everything, every person, every place, every situation can be looked at as part of the whole of spirit itself, then we begin making decisions that favor the preservation of the planet, that favor making reparations to people and peoples that have been left behind. And so I encourage you this week to not feel that, that place of victimhood, but feel that you are at the auspicious moment of making a different choice, a different choice in your mind of collaboration versus competition, a, a different place in your actions and in your heart to choose something more wisely that, that benefits not only yourself but the entire planet.
This is a very important time, not of victimhood, but of powerful intention and even more powerful choice. Okay, well, it's time for me to move forward in our book called Big Potential. But, but I did want to just let you know uh, what's going on right now is not a random event. What's going on right now we are seeing as the, the fruits of, of some of our negativity. And, and we can change that. Well, today what I want to talk about is the idea of creating a star system. And, uh, and I think the best place to start is talking about old Hollywood. I hope some of you are movie buffs, even as I am a great movie buff. And the old movies were the very best. But I bet you didn't know that in the very beginning of Hollywood in California, at the early part of the 20th century, film was considered something beneath most actors. It was seen as a novelty. It was seen as something that you'd pay 25 cents to go see, almost like a peep show or something that was really disfavored. True actors were stage actors. And because the early uh, film efforts were silent, they were not seen as a positive thing. They were seen as a novelty. And so when some of the early studios first began shooting these silent films, they had some really hard work ahead of them. They had to convince a public that was used to vaudeville, a public that was used to fine live performances, to instead, what, go to a room and see perhaps poorly projected uh, images on the wall, right? This was actually a hard sell. We're used to movies today being fabulous blockbusters, right? Back then, the screen was small, and to most people, the actors were seen as something even smaller. And so what did they do? Early Hollywood invented what later was known as the star system. And of course, in its later years, it was, it was significantly abused. The studio executives were telling people what color to have their hair and how to have uh, romantic encounters and so on, all for the sake of the studio. But at the beginning, it was a collaboration of producers and directors and small groups of people whose purpose was unified in bringing about a new industry, a new form of entertainment. And to that end, they invented the star system. They took people in, even with meager talent, and they provided training, uh, dance lessons, music lessons, all of the, the kinds of efforts that would be needed to really produce something that was fun and entertaining to watch on the screen. And everyone was paid pretty equally. There was a machinery around to try to make sure that stars got, got billing and were highlighted in a way that would intrigue people and want to see the, the next picture that Jimmy Stewart was in or the next Edward G. Robinson movie right? The idea was how do we as a group of entertainers, both actors, producers, directors, and soundstage and so on, how can we create something that the public will find just as entertaining as all get out? And people were encouraged each to, to better themselves and were given the resources to improve uh, everything from the photography itself, the filmmaking, to the actors' talents and so on. Everyone was given everything they needed to succeed. And that was the original star system. It was everyone working in a collaborative way with the sole purpose 
of elevating this idea of movies into a way that would shake the world. And they achieved it too. They absolutely achieved it. Today, when we think of going to the movies versus uh, going to see a live production, of course, people enjoy both. But most people on the planet are here to go and see the stars in the movies. So how do we apply that to our own big potential? How can we begin applying the star system, if you will, to our own lives? Well, first of all, let's define what we think of as a star. Now, today we have that idea of a, of a star as being that, that personality. It's all about the, the individual personalities. And you'll hear about different actors, each almost at war to get the choice parts and things like that. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that old initial Hollywood idea. And so it's people who share many of the same goals and values. It's those people who came together in California and in 1910 and 1912 and 1915 who wanted to accomplish something together that was fundamentally from that place of a shared goal and a shared ideal. So it's people that, that come together with that idea of unity, of trying to do something together, but it's also people who think differently, right? We need to have the villains as well as the, as the ingenues. We need to have the people who can write convincing plots. We need to have a variety of different people who actually think differently in order to produce something, in order to have something that appeals to everyone and actually serves everyone. More importantly, perhaps than anything I've said so far, is we need to have people that have a, a positive outlook on what's going to be created. If you think about it, there's almost a little bit of a formula of talent or capability times our outlook on life. There's an actual multiplier here. It's not enough to have talent. It's not enough to, to bring what you have to offer to the table. It's how you think about it. It's how you portray it. It's your ability to be motivated and enthusiastic and actually positive about it. No one actually wants what you have to give unless you're upbeat about it, unless you're positive, unless you show some enthusiasm for it. It's the great multiplier. What talent you have is literally multiplied, not just added to, but doubled and tripled by how you look at your life in the world. So in order to reach your full potential, and in particular for your star system, for your team of stars working together to be effective, it's really sensing that enthusiasm for what you're doing together, as well as your own talents, as well as what you bring to the table in your grouping. And when I say grouping here, the SAR system for you could be just your family, or it could be your place of business. It could be your spiritual community, right? We all have different star systems, and we're all part of multiple star systems. What do you bring to the table? And even more importantly, what is your level of enthusiasm and positivity towards it? Those are the characteristics that I think of as, as true stars. It's people who share the same goals, the same values, some of the same interests. They're interested in working together. They're people who think differently than you 
but I'll support some of those same values and ideas. And then people who have that positive outlook and enthusiasm. And you know, all of that is more primary than the actual talent that they bring. Now think about that for a minute, right? Sometimes we want to go with the idea of an expert. We want to go with the idea of, I'm going to get the very best people in their field. Studies show that that's not as important as people who are working towards the same goal as you, people who are enthusiastic and positive, and people who also wish to contribute in a way that is collaboratory. So, so there's no use in getting an expert. There's no use in getting the best in their field if they're just in it for themselves, if they just want to be there for their own aggrandizement. It's really important that as we, we find our collection of friends and coworkers, and as we develop into loving families, that we see ourselves in and together something bigger than just our own self-interest. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about this idea of the star system. The next thing I want to talk about is how we can expand into even more potential by helping others. And, and I think I need uh, today's joke. So an executive offered to give one of his employees a ride home. Standing outside the building, the employee was dumbfounded when an automobile pulled up alongside the curb to pick him up. It was an expensive imported sports car. This is an amazing automobile, the employee remarked. I don't think I've ever been in a car this luxurious. It is nice, replied the executive. And you know, if you set your goals high, if you work extra hard, if you meet all of your objectives, then I can get an even better car next quarter. <laughs> well, I hope you're a little outraged. <laughs> but you know, isn't that the way that we sort of think that big companies work? Isn't that the way we almost assume that collections of people organized around a, a goal such as producing things in the world, whether it be automobiles or whether it be widgets or whether it be the electric company or the oil company, we look around us and what we see is that people in groups are still incredibly competing with one another. It's the sales manager that racks up the most points. It's the 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 team that is the most productive out of all the other many teams. It is the individual contributors that meet and exceed their goals or, or stamp out the most errors or, or we set up these really almost antagonistic systems where some will succeed, a great many other people are going to be seen as mediocre or not able to meet the objective set. And I want to tell you, those kinds of things are not in the end going to produce the kind of potential that we see in organizations where leadership is shared, where goals are made clear, where everyone can succeed and participate to their utmost. And that is what Sean Aker says in Big Potential, the way that we can work in our own small groups. Now, of course, you're probably not that executive, right? You're probably not in charge of where you work, although some of you may be. 
But often we are in charge of our own social circles, our own families, our own community collectives, and so on. And we can actually participate in the way that Sean Aker is talking about. So his examples are, for instance, rather than being cooperation is transactional, meaning if you do this thing, then I'll do that thing. Again, it's moving back like that earlier age in Hollywood where we all figure out what our collective goals are and then we almost turn it over to those people with their capabilities saying, you know, you're smart, you're creative, here are all the tools you need, here's all the training you need. How can we succeed as a team? And how can we even measure our team success? Not, not you as an individual, but rather how globally we're doing, how, how we're doing as something bigger than ourselves. And so if there's a bonus to be given, it's the whole team gets the bonus. If there are accolades to be made, it's for teamwork and not individual cooperation. Now you might be asking, well, how can we do that on, on a more individual level? For instance, how could I do something like that in our family? And, uh, and I have to say, my mom, when I was a kid, I don't know, obviously she hadn't read this book, but I swear she had that kind of savvy in her own heart. And I still remember when I was about nine years old, it was uh, time for my mom to go back to work. Up until I was nine, uh, she'd been a stay-at-home mom, you know, taking care of the kids in the house and so on. My father was in the logging industry, and he put in such long hours and was often away from the house in a logging camp. And, and so really a lot of the day-to-day -day activities were either based on his activities when he would come home on weekends or on my mother. So when she went back to work, everything still had to get done. And suddenly there was very little free time in which to get it done. And so I still remember she called together a family meeting, my father and myself and her, and she had made a list of all of the things that as a good and wonderful mom, she provided around the house. Everything from doing the yard work and taking care of the laundry to, well, you all know what's involved in running a household. And so she kind of laid it out on the table and said, all right, so this is our measure of success. This is everything that needs to be done. This is what we as a family are committed to providing to each other. How are we going to get it done? <laughs> and I remember my, my father was a little shocked, I think. You know, he had that uh, slightly male, mid-century, modern idea that his job was just to bring in the money and would come home and put his feet up, right? <laughs> but, but my mom was quick to point out that now she was working too and she needed to come home and put up her feet. And so it was really interesting because we literally all picked out of the work that needed to be done what we were willing to do to have have the family really thrive. And, and I remember at the time, I said I would do the family's laundry at nine years old, right? And so my father and my mother looked at me kind of like, 
you're going to do the family's laundry. Sure I can. I've seen how it works. The washer and the dryer are right in that room. <laughs> I know about like separating out the different colors of clothes. And I've watched mom do this. And so my mom, much in the, the, the way that's described in the book that we're using this month, she sat me down and put me through a training program. She did, she did not for a minute think that if I was willing to do that, that I wouldn't be able to, right? And so she gave me the training. She showed me how to do it. She showed me how to separate the clothes, how to fold them properly, where to put them in. And I have to admit, I think somewhere along the way, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a little more uh, detailed than what I had imagined. But you know, I was up for it. And why was I up for it? Because it was contributing to something bigger than myself. I was going to help make our family successful. And you know what? I was successful at it. There were a few errors. I remember when one of mom's sweaters accidentally got put in the dryer and that, <laughs> that involved getting a new sweater, I think, when it came out about this big. <laughs> but, uh, but other than a few errors, right? It was a wonderful experience and it was contributing to the family. And it was what I would call in that moment a true star system. My father, yes, still had the primary responsibility of bringing in probably three quarters of the money of the household. My mom bringing in a, another quarter of the money. But I want to tell you, we all felt a hundred percent as participation and a hundred percent contributing honestly to the success of our family. And I have to tell you, we were successful. We went at the time I was born in a trailer, a small trailer in a logging camp. Within about 10 years, we owned our own home. Uh, we'd gone a long way to paying off uh, the two log trucks uh, that we were purchasing as part of my, my father's living. Our family was doing great. And it was because of that sense of true participation, that each one of us could see a goal of owning our own home, of participating in a certain way, of giving back to the community and so on. And that that vision was strong enough that we were able participants in this, in this star system, if you will, where everyone was held up, everyone was given the training and the support they needed. We all were there for each other. So that's just one of the small ways that we may go about developing our own star systems. But the important thing too, it's not just a collection of people. It's a willingness on behalf of those people to do what's necessary to provide training, to provide support, to provide whatever is necessary so that the, the success is individual and communal at the same time so that no one is left behind or, or made to feel less than. There are no roles that are more important or less important. Truly, everyone is treasured on the team. Well, I'd like to bring this back before we close into the area of metaphysics. You know, I've been talking a lot about uh, people from almost a sociological perspective, and I think that's appropriate. I think we've gotten away from the idea of 
team sports, if you will. And as a species moved into that place, truly of competition where it's only the rarefied few that are smart enough or good enough or, or whatever. And we're plunging into that rugged individualism. And I, and I got to say, I think that's the wrong direction to go. I think that's why we're seeing what we're seeing right now of the great division between those people who have and those people who have not. I think that's uh, highlighting the fact that Mother Earth is in rebellion right now and we're experiencing global warming. I think it's uh, highlighting the division between the races and the sexes and some of the other things that are showing up as disparities on the planet. It is that idea that some of us, in order to succeed, will pull ahead and leave behind some of us that are deemed as less than. Well, it's not the way it works in the mind of God. And I must, uh, I must remind you that the mind of God is all there is, and the mind of God is about unity. We are all equal in the mind of God. We are all capable in the mind of God. We all have a place and a role and a job to perform that is indispensable in the eyes of God. And when we approach each other from that place of unity, from that place of recognizing the person next to me is of me and with me and indivisible from me, just another instance of spirit itself, then I begin making different decisions in life. Then the, the consciousness in me merges with the consciousness of others and the, the consciousness of the whole, and our decisions are for the whole. It's where this idea of creating a world that works for everyone comes from because we're all in it together. All of us as a species, all of us as a, as a communal life on the planet, and all of us as the planet too. We begin making decisions based on the global needs and the needs of, uh, of the people that we hold close to us, the needs of the people in our communities, in our nation, and in the world, because we are all made out of the same stuff, which is God. You know, we're coming up to an election season where we're coming up to seasons when we have lots of choices to make, whether it's uh, wearing masks and being healthy for each other, whether it's uh, choosing elected officials that will represent the kind of unity and force that you want to see in the world. We're making decisions that affect everyone every single day of our lives. And when we do it from a place of recognizing we're all in this together, I think we're going to turn around what we're seeing right now. I think this every person from themselves jazz, this uh, one country against another country, one people against another people, I think that will vanish when we begin seeing that it's a zero-sum game. And life is not a game. Life is about blessing life. Life is here to foster and raise up other life because it is through the, the harmony of all of us, it is through the upliftment of all of us where we find our success. Ultimately, individual success pales. It fades 
The ingenue loses her beauty. The, the, the strong man's strength begins to fade. All of those, uh, those ways of competition that we see out in the world where, where stars are held up as individuals, all of those kinds of accolades are very time-based. They tend to fade. I'm talking about the true star power once again of working together cohesively towards common goals and that excitement that zest for living that uh, enthusiasm for life and for moving forward and when we have that in our systems of people the true star system is born so quickly to summarize today, we enhance our potential by surrounding ourselves with stars. And those are people who are capable, they have shared values and dreams, and we multiply that potential when they're positive stars, when they're enthusiastic, when they, they do what's necessary to see the positives in life. We also expand our potential further by helping others and by sharing our leadership. And finally, we model really how God works when we accept the unity of ourselves with one another. It is the very nature of spirit to be unified. And it is only when we separate ourselves from that, it's only when we want it all for our own, when we're willing to see our own success at the expense of other people, that's when things go wrong. Well, I'm going to close today with a prayer. There is one power, one presence, one goodness. There is only this one thing. I call it spirit. And what I know about spirit is the great unity. Every person, every place, everything, every situation, all that is part of the one, that one unified consciousness of all. And as we reflect that unity, as we are willing to take a look at the people who surround us and notice their star power, providing help, providing uh, the tools and resources necessary that, that the stars we surround ourselves can succeed in their own right and in the right of our team, in, in the right of our community, truly we see the potentials of the universe unlocked. It is our ability to seek out and attract people who are not only capable, but who are positive, enthusiastic, and willing. And it is the knowledge that our teams and groups, through our true power, our willingness to make investments in time and one another, so that we all shine brightly in the constellations of our own lives. And so for this, I'm grateful. Grateful for the willingness on all of our parts to be part of something bigger than just ourselves. And so I release my word. I release it into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Now is our time of conscious giving. If you'd like to take your gift in your hand, or, or perhaps it's time to go on to Tithely on your phone, or to make a donation to our website at cslportland.org, however it is you choose to participate with us, your gifts are most appreciative. I invite you, if you like, just to repeat after me. Graciously I give from a place of love, knowing that as I give, so do I richly receive.
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.